ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so continuing with uh, Bulugh al-Maram, Abu al-Hafidh ibn Hajar, rahimahullahu ta'ala, we're now in the section Babil Wudu, the chapter concerning Wudu. So we've spoken about water, the different types of water, which water can be used and which water cannot be used. We've spoken about the utensils that carry that water and some of the rulings with regards to those utensils. We've spoken about impurities and how to remove those impurities. And now, we come to the chapter of wudu. And as you can see that the author, he is going through the chapters in a logical manner. Because in order for a person to perform his worship of prayer, and other types of worship that require this wudu, then initially you need to know which water you can use. Once you've established the water you can use, you also need to know what type of utensil you can carry that water in, because that may affect the purity or impurity of the water. Similarly, you need to know how to remove the impurities from your clothing or your body or your area that you're going to pray upon. And then also after that now, the author goes on to mention how to make the actual wudu. So, Babul wudu, wudu with a dhamma on it, when you say wudu, with a dhamma, that has one meaning. And when you say a wadu, with a fatha, has a different meaning. So here that's the first thing that the shaykh will explain. He says, Babil wudu, al-wudu bi waw. If you say wudu, wudu with a dham, uh, dhamma on the waw, then that is the action of making wudu. It's the master of tawadda'a wudu'an, to make the wudu. But if you say wadu, wadu with a fatha on the waw, then the meaning of that is, anybody know? What's the difference between wudu and wadu? Wudu is the wudu, the purification, what you do, the washing. What's the wadu? The wadu is the water that you use to make the wudu. The fatha, that one slight change, wudu to wadu. That small change in the Arabic language, one little sign, changes the meaning of it altogether. So wadu is the water that is used. أَمَّا الْوَضُوء بِفَتْحَ الْوَاءُ فَالْمُرَادُ بِهِ الْمَاءَ الَّذِي يُتَوَضَّأُ بِهِ Then, what is wudu, Islamically speaking? What is the definition of wudu, Islamically speaking? وَالْوُضُوء فِي الشَّرَعِ هو استعمال الماء بنية مخصوصة على صفة مخصوصة في أعضاء مخصوصة. It is this is the definition of wudu in the legislation. Legislatively, this is the definition of wudu. It is the usage of water. It is the usage of water with a specific intention. Upon a specific mannerism, or in a or in a specific, uh, upon a specific description or specific mannerism, on specific body parts. So it is the usage of water, 
But how? Usage of water, how? With a specific intention, used in a specific way upon specific body parts. All of those put together makes it wudu. Why do we say that it's the usage of water? Obviously because you use water to make wudu. That is the asal. Why do we say a specific intention? Because you need to have that intention for the wudu. Wudu is, as they say, it's an ibadah ghair ma'akuratul ma'na. It's a type of worship where the, it's not fully comprehensible. And if any type of worship is not fully comprehensible in that way, then it must have an intention. So there is a specific intention here required for the wudu, that you're making your wudu. Then you have to use that water in a specific way. So don't you wash some body parts, but wipe other body parts. On the head, you don't wash it, you wipe it. On the other body parts, you wash it. In between the fingers, you run your fingers through, etc. So you use the water in a particular way, upon a particular mannerism, upon a particular description, upon particular body parts. It's not the whole of your body that you wash, specific body parts. That's why this definition is the definition of wudu, that it is the usage of water, with a specific or a particular intention, using that water in a particular or specific manner, upon particular or specific body parts. Also, what can be said is, at the beginning of this definition we said, istimalul ma, the usage of water. That therefore exits, exits what? It exits other liquids that are not water. So you can't make wudu with other types of liquids that are not water. <coughs> other liquids that are not upon their original state of being water, as we discussed in the original chapter. Also, the fact that we said it must be with a specific intention. Meaning, if a person now, for example, he was, he was uh, doing some exercise, he was running around, and he was hot. So he comes in, and he pours cold water over his hands, and he pours cold water over his face, and his arms, and on, on his feet, and on his head. He pours water all over those body parts to cool himself down. Is that wudu or not? It's not wudu, even if he's washed all the body parts that wudu is required for. Even if he's washed all the body parts, it's not wudu. Because he hasn't made the intention for wudu. He only did all of that just to cool himself down. So that is not wudu. That's why you need to have the intention for it to be wudu. Also, and that's because of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ anyway, Indeed, all of your actions are by your intentions. So if an individual does not intend wudu, then he hasn't got wudu. Some of the scholars, it's one of the opinions of some of the scholars, they say you can do it without intention. But the correct opinion and the majority of the scholars, what they have said, is that wudu is a type of worship which is not comprehensible, and therefore you must have an intention that goes with it. Meaning that if a person now went and had a shower, a person goes and has a bath or a shower, washes all of his body parts, including the wudu body parts and everything else as well. Then when he comes out, he looks at the clock and he realizes it's the time for the prayer. So he thinks to himself, Alhamdulillah, I've just had a shower, I've just had a full bath, I've got wudu, I'll pray. Correct or not? Incorrect. But why? He's washed all the body parts that are required to be washed for wudu. So why has he not got wudu? Because he didn't make the intention for it. 
He went and had a shower, he washed over his body parts, he had a bath or whatever, but he didn't make the intention for wudu. Therefore he does not have wudu in that instance. That's why the scholars say if a person is going to have a shower or a bath and you intend to make wudu within that, then within that shower you should make sure that you rub over the body parts of the wudu as well. Not just let the water flow all over your body, but to make sure that you rub your hands over the wudu areas. Uh, <clears throat> then, the third part we mentioned is that this water must be used upon a specific intention, upon a specific mannerism. There's a particular way to do it, and that's what this chapter is going to be about, to explain how that particular way of making wudu is. And it's also going to explain what those particular body parts are, what are the particular body parts that must be washed in the wudu. The face, the hands, the hands including everything up to the elbow, the two feet up to the ankles, and the head, the other four body parts, the specific body parts for the wudu. Then the Shaykh says, وَالْوُدُوْ شَرْطٌ مِّن شُرُوطِ صِحَّةِ الصَّلَاةِ لَا تَصِحُّ صَلَاةُ إِلَّا بِهِ مَعَ الْإِسْتَطَاعَةِ وَالْقُدْرَةِ Wudu is a condition from the conditions of the prayer, for the correctness of the prayer. If the wudu is not present, then that prayer is not correct. So the prayer must, the wudu must be done, and it is a condition for the prayer to be correct, as long as a person has the ability to do so. And that will explain in more detail about ability to make wudu or not, or if you have to make tayammum instead, etc. That will come later. But generally speaking, then this is a condition from the conditions of their prayer, that a person must use that water to make the wudu for his prayer to be correct. And that's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Qur'an, يَا أَيُّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ فَاغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ وَإِدَيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ The ayah. That all you who believe, if you are going to pray, then wash. فَاغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ Wash your faces وَإِدِيَكُمْ And your hands, your, all of your hands إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ Up to the elbows. وَامْسَحُوا بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ And wipe your heads. وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ إِلَى الْكَعْبَيْنَ And wash your feet up to the ankles. The ayah in the Qur'an. So, that is the proof that a person must make the wudu before the prayer. Similarly, there is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which is in Bukhari and Muslim. لَا يَقْبَلُ اللَّهُ صَلَاةَ أَحَدِكُمْ إِذَا أَحْدَثَ حَتَّى يَتَوَضَّأُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not accept the prayer of any of you. He does not accept the prayer of one of you until or, or, or if, he, uh, if he breaks his wudu, if he does something that breaks his wudu, then Allah will not accept your prayer until you make wudu again. So if somebody's wudu is broken, then he cannot pray. His prayer is not accepted until he goes and repeats his wudu, until he goes and makes his wudu. That's what the hadith says. لا يقبل الله صلاة أحدكم إذا أحدث حتى يتوضأ. Allah will not accept the prayer of one of you if you uh, if your wudu is lost up until you make that wudu again. So then the Shaykh says, فَلَوْ صَلَّ مِنْ غَيْرِ وُضُوءٍ لَمْ تَصِحَّ صَلَاتُهُ إِذَا كَانَ يَسْتَطِعُ الْوُضُوءِ So if a person prayed without wudu, then his prayer will not be accepted if he was able to make wudu. وَلِذَلِكَ اهْتَمَّ بِهِ أَهْلُ الْعِلْمِ وَيَقَدُوا لَهُ بَابًا فِي كُتُبِ الْحَدِيثِ وَفِي كُتُبِ الْفِقْرِ And that's why the scholars gave so much importance to the issue of wudu. And they put a specific chapter about this in the books of hadith and in the books of fiqh. وَبَيَّنُوا تَفَاصِيلَهُ وَأَحْكَامَهُ وَصِفَتَهُ لِأَنَّهُ مُهِمْ جِدًّا And the scholars, they explained the details of it and the rulings of it and the descriptions of it because it is something very important. 
to know how to make the wudu properly. It's one of the conditions of the prayer for the prayer to be accepted. Then the Shaykh says, Summiya wudu'an min al wada'a. Min al wada'a. Wudu in the Arabic language, what does wudu actually mean? Yes, we said that there's two different meanings for it in terms of the actual wudu and the water that you use. But where does the word come from, wudu, in the first place? The Shaykh says it comes from the word wada'a. And wada'a in the Arabic language means al husn like beauty, beautification, goodness and niceness and beautification. That's where the word wudu comes from, from the word wada'a, which means beauty and nice, niceness and beautification. لِأَنَّ فِي الْوُضُوءِ وَضَاءَةً لِلْمُسْلِمِ وَحُسْنًا وَنَضَافَةً Because when a Muslim makes wudu, then it beautifies him and it cleans him and makes him pure. It cleans him and purifies him and makes him beautiful when he makes a wudu. وَكَمَا جَاءَ فِي الْحَدِيثِ عَنَّ بِسَى سَلَّمْ And as it's mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet Sallam, إِنَّ أُمَّةِ يُدْعَوْنَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ غُرًّا مُحَجَّلِينَ مِنْ آثَارِ الْوُضُوءِ That my nation are going to be called on the day of judgment. غُرًّا مُحَجَّلِينَ مِنْ آثَارِ الْوُضُوءِ That they're going to have the signs of the wudu upon their body parts. They're going to have the signs of the wudu upon their body parts. Uh, and that is, uh, that is the whiteness of the faces. That's what the ghurran means. Ghurran, the signs of the wudu, i.e. they will have this brightness and lightness in their faces. Al-ghurra hiya al-bayadu fil wajh. It's this whiteness in the face, this lightness in the face. Wa-muhajjal al-ladhi fi atrafihi bayad. And the muhajjal is the one that has whiteness on its sides. On its sides. So the meaning is, the shaykh says, أَنَّهُ يَظْهَرُ عَلَيْهِمَ النُّورِ فِي وُجُوهِمْ وَفِي أَطْرَافِهِمْ That on that day, this lightness will appear upon the believers who used to make wudu in their faces, and upon their sides, upon their sides and their faces, this wudu, the, the lightness and the brightness will appear on those body parts. And that is a sign for the believers on the day of judgment that they will be recognized by. That these are the believers, the ones who have this brightness upon their body parts where they used to make wudu. Also, some of the virtues of wudu, it's mentioned, we're going to come to them in detail anyway, but it's mentioned, الوضوء جاء في الحديث أو في الأحديث أنه يحط الخطايا That the wudu, it removes the sins. It's mentioned in certain ahadith that a person when he makes the wudu, this wudu, it removes the sins. وَكُلَّمَا غَسَلَ الْمُسْلِمُ عَضْوًا مِنْ خَرَجَتْ خَطَايَا ذَلِكَ الْعَضُ مَعَ الْمَاءِ أَوْ مَعَ آخِرِ قَطَرِ الْمَاءِ And whenever a person washes one of the body parts, the face or the arms, or wipes the head, or washes the feet, then the sins, they come out of that body part when he's washing it. That's what's mentioned in certain ahadith. فَهُوَ عِبَادَ عَظِيمًا The shaykh says, so no doubt it is a great act of worship. And one of the conditions from the conditions of the prayer. So then this wudu, there are certain acts within it which are obligations, you must do them. There are certain acts within it which are sunan. And there are certain acts within it which are, yani like you said, obligations, they are obligations, they are conditions, you must do them, pillars. Uh, there are things that must be done in the wudu, obligations. Rather, obligations is the better word. There are obligations and there are sunan. So now then, the first hadith in this chapter. The first hadith is the hadith of Abu Huraira, radiyallahu anhu, an Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu who says that the Prophet sallallahu said لَوْلَا أَنْ أَشُقَّ عَلَىٰ أُمَّتِ لَأَمَرْتُهُمْ بِالسِّوَاكِ عِنْدَ كُلِّ وُضُوءِ أو مَعَ كُلِّ وُضُوءِ 
that was it not for the fact that I feared I would burden my people, I would have commanded them to use the siwak every time they make wudu. The Prophet said, was it not for the fact that I feared I would make it too burdensome, too heavy, too difficult upon the people, it would become too difficult upon them? Was it not for that fear that it would become too difficult upon them, I would have commanded them to use the siwak every time they make wudu. A hadith narrated by Malik and Ahmed and Nasai, and uh, Al-Hafid mentions, Sahahahu ibn Khuzayma, وَذَكَرَهُ الْبُخَارِيُ تَعْلِيقًا The second hadith, or rather we'll come to this one first then. So this is the hadith of Abu Huraira. In this hadith now, we see that one of the sunnah acts of the wudu, one of the sunnah acts that a person should do when making wudu is using the siwak. It is one of the acts that is sunnah. How do we know that this is an act which is sunnah? We'll come to that now here then. You will recognize from this hadith now how this indicates that this using of siwak is an act of sunnah in the wudu. When Abu Huraira mentioned that the Prophet said, لَوْلَا أَنَا شُقَّ الْعُمَّةِ لَأَمَرْتُهُمْ بِسِوَاكِ مَعَ كُلِّ wudu. Was it not for the fact that I feared I would burden my people, I would have commanded them to use the siwak with every wudu? This indicates the mercy of the Prophet upon his people. It indicates the mercy and the compassionate, the compassionate nature of the Prophet upon his people that he doesn't want difficulty to be upon them. He doesn't want any burdensome uh, affair to be upon them. Rather, he wants for them ease. بَلْ يُرِيدُ لَهَا الْيُسْرِ He wants for them ease and facilitation. وَلِهَذَا كَانَ يُحِبُّ أَنْ يَعْمَلَ بَعْضَ الْأَشْيَا ثُمَّ يَتْرُكُهَا خَوْفًا أَنْ يُشُقَّ ذَلِكَ عَلَى أُمَّتِهِ That's why, because the Prophet ﷺ wanted to be compassionate, and he was compassionate, and he wanted ease upon the people, that's why sometimes he used to do some things, he used to do certain acts, and then he used to leave them sometimes too. So that it was not an obligation upon the people, the people would not think that this is an obligation. They would recognize that it's a sunnah act. And this is one of those types of hadith. فَإِنَّهُ كَانَ يُحِبُّ siwak. There's no doubt that the Prophet ﷺ, he used to love the siwak. He used to love using the siwak. وَمِن شِدَّةْ حُبِّهِ لَهُ كَادَ أَنْ يَأْمُرَ الْأُمَّ بِهِ مَعَ كُلِّ وُضُوءٍ And because of his severe love for the siwak and the usage of the siwak, then he was about to command the people, the nation, to make it an obligation in every wudu. لَكِنَّهُ وَجَدَ بِأَنَّ ذَلِكَ يَشُقَّ عَلَى الْأُمَّ فَلَمْ يَأْمُرْ بِهِ مَعَ كُلِّ وُضُوءٍ لَكِنَّهُ حَثَّهُمْ عَلَى ذَلِكَ مِنْ غَيْرِ أَمْرٍ but then the Prophet ﷺ realized that this would be too difficult and too much of a burden upon the people for them to have to use siwak every time they make wudu. So instead, he encouraged them to do so. Within this hadith is an encouragement to do so, but not an obligation. وَاسْتِعْمَالُ السِّوَاكِ يَكُونُ مِنْ أَجْلِ إِزَالَةِ آثَارِ الطَّعَامَ الَّتِي تَعَلَّقُ آثَارِ الطَّعَامَ الَّتِي تُعَلَّقُ فِي الْفَمْ the usage of the siwak is for the purpose of removing those fragrances and the bits of food and other things that may remain within the mouth to remove those fragrances and that food or those smells 
that may be within the mouth. So the Shaykh says, فَدِينُ الْإِسْلَامُ نَظِيفٌ يُرِيدُ النَّظَافَةَ وَطِيبُ الرَّائِحَةَ The religion of Islam is a religion of purification, a religion of cleanliness. And that's why this siwak has been established. It's one of the sunnah acts to do for the act of this cleanliness. Obedience to Allah, no doubt. And within that there is cleanliness for the person, that his mouth is cleaned out and the smells are taken away. Siwak, that's something which is known to everyone. That particular type of uh, branch or that particular type of wood that is used, that particular type of stick that is used. And it's mentioned, Udul Araq. This particular type is the best type that you can use. However, if an individual was to use different types of sticks, different types of uh, siwak, all of those are permissible as long as it does that job. To the extent that some of the scholars have even said, if an individual was to use a toothbrush, then it still does the job and you're still fulfilling the sunnah. Because the purpose is to clean the mouth. The purpose is to clean the mouth, so even if you use a toothbrush, it cleans your mouth. So some of the scholars have said even that is possible. The only problem with that is you're not going to walk around everywhere with a toothbrush in your pocket. And that's why the siwak is a lot easier and more suitable. But the scholars have said a toothbrush, it does the job also. If somebody was to use that and to use toothpaste, etc., that's all good. It does the same job as removing those smells and removing the uh, unwanted or undesired items from the mouth. Then the Shaykh says that there are many ahadith that mention the virtues of using the siwak and the encouragement to use the siwak. One of them is as-siwak mutahharatun lil-fam mardatun lil-rab. That the siwak, it is cleanliness for the mouth and it is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in one hadith is mentioned, وفي الحديث الصحيح أيضا أن سواك من خسال الفطرة ومن سنن الأنبياء عليهم الصلاة والسلام. In one hadith is be mentioned that from the natural types of things that you do, the natural cleanliness types of things that you do, like cutting the nails, like cutting the hair of the underarms and the private regions, one of the things mentioned alongside those natural things that you would do to keep clean is the usage of the سواك. And it's mentioned that this is from the acts that the prophets they used to do. This is from the acts that the prophets they used to do. So it is a sunnah mu'akkada as they say. Sunnah mu'akkada that it's a very emphasized sunnah. Very recommended sunnah that you should do that. That you should use the siwak. And it is something which is possible to do at all times. You could use the siwak at all times. During the day, in the evening, at any time you can use the siwak, it's permissible and it's correct to do so for the cleanliness of the mouth. But there are certain times when it's even more recommended to use the siwak. So what are those certain times when it's even more recommended to use the siwak? One of those times, you've just mentioned it, which is the wudu. During the wudu, then that's one of the times it's mentioned to use the siwak. When a person makes the wudu, then to use the siwak. At the time of making the wudu also. That's a recommended time to use the siwak. Another time is the prayer. Just before beginning the prayer, again it's something that's a sunnah to use the siwak just before the beginning of the prayer. So that you pray and your mouth is clean and pure and there's no smells or 
bits of food or nothing. It's clean and it's pure when you pray. So it's, permit, it's uh, mentioned about the uh, recommendation of using the siwak uh, at the time of the prayer, just before the prayer begins. Another time when it's been mentioned that the siwak should be used and it's highly recommended to use when a person awakens from sleeping. When a person awakens from sleeping. Because when a person wakes up from sleep, it's known that the smell of the mouth is not good overnight. When a person wakes up from sleeping, so it's something good and recommended that the first thing the person does in the morning is that he uses that siwak. And it's mentioned from the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ that when he used to wake up from sleeping, the first thing that he used to do was the siwak. So waking up from sleep, then this is a time where it's recommended to use the siwak. The fourth time you can use the siwak, or where it's highly recommended to use it, is When a person wishes to recite the Qur'an, then prior to reciting the Qur'an, then it's also something which is recommended that an individual uh, beautifies the fragrance of his mouth and cleans his mouth by using that siwak before reading the Qur'an. And also because it's mentioned that the angels, they gather at the places where the Qur'an is being recited. They gather at the recitation of the Qur'an. So once again, an individual would wish that his mouth is of beautiful fragrance and of cleanliness. If it is the case that the angels are going to be attending also, which is the case. <coughs> the fifth place, <coughs> the fifth time when it's mentioned that it's recommended for a person to use the siwak is generally any time when the fragrance of a person's mouth has altered. If at any time an individual eats something or whatever it might be, a drink or something, and the fragrance of his mouth changes or it is not a good smell, then it's recommended at that time that you, sh- you should use the siwak. When the smell of the mouth changes, then if a person feels, If a person realizes, If a person realizes that the smell of his mouth has changed, it's a bad smell, then an individual should use the siwak in order to remove that smell. But generally speaking, like we said, siwak is something which is recommended at all times. The person uses the siwak to clean himself, to purify the smell of his mouth, to fragrance, the fragrance of his mouth, etc. Uh, what about somebody's fasting? Is it permissible to use siwak if you're fasting? Mm, correct, so there's no difference. An individual who's fasting, then also it is permissible for him to use this siwak. So this hadith then, how does it indicate that it's recommended to use siwak? How? The hadith says that was it not for the fact that there would be this difficulty upon the people, then I would have commanded them to use the siwak. That indicates what? It indicates... How desirable it is that the Prophet he was about to give the command to make it obligatory. But because of the difficulty, then that command didn't come. So that indicates how desirable it actually is to do. 
how recommended it is that you should do that. So no doubt the hadith is clear in explaining the importance and emphasizing the usage of the siwak. So how does a person use it? Well, the shaykh mentions, فَالْمَرْءُ يَسْتَاكُ بِالْمَاءِ ثُمَّ That a person when he's making the wudu, just before he puts the water into his mouth and his nose, just before doing that, then he can use the siwak. Use the siwak and then do the madmada straight after that. So that is the way that the shaykh says an individual can do or use the siwak. Uh, uh, whilst doing the wudu that an individual can use the siwak and then do the madmada and similarly it's mentioned that an individual could use the siwak prior to beginning prior to actually beginning the wudu that an individual just prior to it uses the siwak so this hadith then what are the issues within it the issues within it are that there is a clear recommendation for the usage of the siwak at the time of wudu so that is one of the sunnah acts of the wudu. Because here now we're talking about the chapter of the wudu. So using the siwak is one of the sunnah acts of the chapter of the wudu. Also this hadith indicates to you as a benefit the compassionate nature of the Prophet ﷺ that he did not wish to burden his nation. Also it indicates to you that the siwak is not obligatory. The hadith indicates to you the siwak is not obligatory quite clearly. Because the Prophet said, was it not for the fact of the burden, I would have made it obligatory. Meaning that he didn't make it obligatory. Because of that difficulty, he didn't make it obligatory. They call it in Arabic. That because of this burden existing, then the command for the siwak never occurred. Uh, and the fourth issue the Shaykh mentions is, دَلِيلٌ عَلَى اسْتِحْبَابِ زَالَةِ الرَّوَائِحِ الْكَرِيهَا uh, there's an evidence that the bad smells should be removed at the time of the prayer or when entering the masajid, the mosques. And the individual should take attention to himself. An individual should pay attention to himself. And the smells of his mouth, etc. when he's entering the masjid, when he's going to pray. In order that he has the nicest of smells and the best of fragrance, in terms of his mouth and otherwise, so that he doesn't harm the other people. He doesn't come to the masajid with a bad smell, and that causes the other people to be harmed by that. That's why there are those narrations, which perhaps we'll come to later on, concerning if you eat certain types of foods, you're not supposed to go to the masajid. For example... Garlic, those types of things is mentioned. That whoever eats from this tree, I this garlic, etc., then he should not come close to us. That's because of the smell. So an individual should try to keep or be aware of the smells and to make sure that the fragrance is good. The Sheikh mentions here another point which is relevant to our times, which is the point of. Smoking. So the Sheikh says this is something extremely bad. That an individual he smokes, that's haram in of itself anyway. But then he comes to the masjid with all that smoke smell still from his mouth and his clothes and he harms the people in the masjid as well. So this is something not good that the Sheikh mentions, something which is not befitting whatsoever. Uh, Sheikh mentions yes. So what can it be? Fami he or fi badni he or fi thawbi he? Karaa ihtithum al basar al karaa. Wa ashadu min dhalika raa ihatu dukhan al khabith. 
فإن المرأة إذا كان مطلوبا منه أن يزيل روائح المؤذية من بعض الأطعمة المباحة فلأن يزيل رائحة الدخان من باب أولى فالدخان حرام لأنه مضر في الصحة والمال كما أن رائحته كريهة ومؤذية So the Shaykh says in summary that no doubt it is something which is haram and an individual must remove that smell before coming to the masajid etc. And it's haram in the first place anyway. Then the next hadith after that. The next hadith after that is the hadith of Humran, Mawla Uthman radiyallahu anhu. Anna Uthman da'a bi wudu'in da'a bi wudu'in faghasala kafayhi thalaf. ثلاث مرات ثم مضمض واستنشق واستنفرا ثم غسل وجهه ثلاث مرات ثم غسل يده اليمنى إلى المرفق ثلاث مرات ثم اليسرى مثل ذلك ثم مسح برأسه ثم غسل رجله اليمنى إلى الكعبين ثلاث مرات ثم اليسرى مثل ذلك ثم قال رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم توضأ نحو وضوء هذا متفق عليه فإن ذي حديث the hadith of Humran, Mawla Uthman. Mawla meaning uh, guardian. It's like a freed slave. A Mawla is like a freed slave. Ma'anahuna al Atiq. Al Atiq. Kana Mamlukan. He used to be a servant or a slave of Uthman. He used to be owned by him. And then Uthman, he freed him. That's what a Mawla is. A mawla is someone who used to be your slave or your servant and then you free him, make him a free man. So Humran, he used to be the servant of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhum. But then he freed him. So he became his mawla. He became the mawla of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu, who was the third of the Khulafa'ir Rashidin. And he was from the earliest of the companions of the Prophet He made the two hijras. Both hijras to Habasha and then to Al-Madina. Uh, or rather the... Naam, to the, the Habasha and then to Medina. And he was married to... How many of the daughters of the Prophet Two. Two of the daughters of the Prophet وسلم, That's why they call him... Dhun-Nurayn. Dhun-Nurayn, the possessor of the two lights. The one who has the two lights. Right, the two daughters of the Prophet uh, and it's mentioned in a narration that the Prophet ﷺ said, when the second daughter died, when his second daughter died, he said, لو كان عندي ابن ثالثة لزوجتك إياها. He said, if I had a third daughter, if, if, if I had some other daughter now that I could marry to you, then I would have married her off to you as well. That was the virtues of Uthman ibn Affan. And there are no doubt he has many virtues. The Shaykh mentions some more here now. The fact that he spent so much in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, in the battle of Tabuk, For indeed, he prepared 300 camels for that battle. With all of the provisions and everything that goes with the camels, 300 for the purpose of that battle. So this is that hadith now that Humran, he narrates uh, that Uthman ibn Affan, he asked for some water to be brought to him. He requested some water to be brought to him. And he washed his hands three times. Then he made the mud mother and the, which is to put the water into the mouth. Then the istinshaq to remove the, to put the water into the nose. Then the istinthar to remove the water from the nose. 
Then he washed the face three times. Then he washed his right hand three times up to the elbow. Th- uh, left hand three times up to the elbow. Then he wiped his head. Then he washed his feet. The right one first to the ankle. The left one to the ankle. And then he said, this is how I saw the Prophet making wudu. Muttafaqun Ali. We'll come to all of that in detail now here. So the beginning of the hadith then he says, that firstly, he washed his hands three times. He washed his hands three times at the beginning of the wudu. What's the ruling upon that then? Because here now we said some things are obligatory and some things are sunnah. So when you start making wudu at the beginning, obviously there is the intention and the bismillah. But then after that when you wash the hands, that washing of the hands, what's the ruling? Obligatory or sunnah? Sunnah? Obligatory once. Farooq. Give us an answer. Sunnah or obligatory? 50-50. It's sunnah. When you wash your hands at the beginning of the wudu, it's a sunnah act. It's sunnah, it's sunnah obligatory. That washing of the hands at the very beginning, after your intention in the bismillah, then you wash the hands... The first time when you wash the hands, that's a sunnah act. هذا من سنن الوضوء. ثم غسل كفيه ثلاثا. يقول الشيخ صالح حوزان هذا من سنن الوضوء. This is from the sunnah acts of the wudu. Except if a person wakes up from sleeping. If a person has been sleeping and he wakes up and it's a time for the prayer, so he needs to go make wudu, then it's obligatory to wash the hands at the beginning. If a person has been sleeping and then he gets up and it's the time for the prayer or he wants to make wudu, then it's obligatory for him to wash the hands because he's been asleep. And that we're going to come to with the narrations about sleeping and because you don't know where your hands have been at night, etc. Uh, briefly now here, إِذَا اسْتَيْقَلَ أَحَدُكُمْ مِنْ نَوْمِهِ فَلَا يَغْمِسْ يَدَهُ فِي الْإِنَاءِ حَتَّى يَغْسِلَهَا ثَلَاثًا فَإِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ لَا يَدْرِي أَيْنَ بَاتَتْ يَدُهُ that if a person wants to make wudu, if he wakes up and he wants to make wudu, then don't dip your hands straight into the water. Wash them three times first, because indeed one of you does not know. Or wash them first, because indeed, yeah, three times, because one of you does not know where his hands have been at night. Meaning they might have touched the private area, they might have touched some other impurity. So if a person wakes up, then he must wash them. Otherwise, otherwise if you're awake, you want to make a wudu, then it's only sunnah act to wash the hands at the beginning. ثُمَّ مَدْمَضَ وَاسْتَنْشَقَ وَاسْتَنْثَرَ مَدْمَضَ is to put water into the mouth إِدْخَالُ الْمَاءِ الْفَمِ وَخَضَّتِهِ فِيهِ and then the gargling of it when you gargle the water in your mouth ثُمَّ مَجْجُهُ then to take it out of your mouth that's the مَدْمَضَ مَدْمَضَ put the water in your mouth gargle it around and then spit it out that's مَدْمَضَ إِسْتِنْشَاقَ is to put the water up into the nose. To suck the water up into the nose. جَذْبُ الْمَا بِنَفَسٍ إِلَى دَاقِلِ الْأَنفِ To suck the water up into the nose. Then when you remove it, then that is known as الْإِسْتِنْثَار. These are the Arabic words. istinshaq to put the water up. istinthar to remove the water. How do you do that? It's going to come in more detail in the ahadith which are going to come. How do you do it? And as we'll see later on, that you're supposed to do it with the same fistful. The mouth and the nose together, in one fistful. Not as some people do, the mouth and then the nose separate. 
They should be done together, but that's going to come in the next hadith. Istinshaq is for the nose. Istinshaq is when you put water up into the nose. Istinfar is when you remove it from the nose. So taking it up has one word, removing it out has another word. And that mentioned, like we said, you do it with the right hand and then you do the istinfar with the left hand. But those details are going to come too. That the water should be taken up with the right hand and then removed from the nose when you blow it out with your left hand. That's the way that the wudu should be done. Then, ثُمَّ غَصَلَ وَجْهَهُ ثَلَاثًا Then he washed his face three times. Is that magic or? Which one? Uh, even this, uh, the details will come. Most of the scholars, they say yes. But uh, the details again will come later on. Here now it's just a general description. Now we're just going to do the general description of the wudu from the hadith. Then when the issues, when the shaykh starts speaking about the masail, then it'll go into detail about what's wajib, what's obligatory, what are the details about it. Now this is just a general description of the wudu from this hadith. Then you wash this face three times because of the ayah in the Quran, فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ Wash your faces. Allah said in the Quran, wash your faces. However, the ayah in the Quran doesn't mention anything about madmada and istinshaq. But the hadith does. And the act of the Prophet ﷺ when he used to make wudu does. And therefore, Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan says, an individual who doesn't do the madmada and the istinshaq, he only washes his face, then his wudu is incomplete. Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, that's what he mentions, that his wudu is incomplete. Because that is the correct way to do it. That's how the Prophet ﷺ used to do it. His act, it explains the ayat in the Qur'an. It is explanatory of those ayat and how to make the wudu. Thumma and that, the face and everything, that's obligatory or sunnah. Obligatory, no doubt. That's mentioned in the Qur'an. فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ Then after that, غَسَلَ يَدَهُ الْيُمْنَا إِلَى الْمِرْفَقِي ثَلَاثَ مَرَّاتِ ثُمَّ الْيُسْرَ مِتْلَ ذَلِكَ Then he washed his right hand up to the elbow three times. And then the left hand up to the elbow three times. Again, it's in the Quran. And wash your hands up to your elbows. So again, we know that's something obligatory. It's in the Quran. That's one of the obligatory acts of wudu. So how does that get done? From where to where? From the wrist to the elbow, or from the fingertips to the elbow, or from the fingertips, including up above the elbow, or from the wrist, where? From where to where? Fingertips to, to above the elbow, so you include the elbow. What about just from the wrist? From the wrist, from the wrist, from here up to the elbow, including the elbow. Because you already washed your hands at the beginning. So is that okay? So what if somebody just washes from the elbow, from the wrist? Like, you know how people do, they pour the water and then they just wash the wrist up to here. It's wrong, the wudu isn't finished. You have to wash the hands. This, this is when it's obligatory now. The first time was sunnah to wash your hands. Maybe somebody doesn't do it. This is the obligation now. Here you must wash from the fingertips all the way, including the elbow. It's a common mistake. That people, they think, now I washed my hands at the beginning. So now they think, okay, I just got to start from the wrist. I've just got to start from the wrist now and go up to the elbow. Wrong. Now you have to include the hand obligatory this time. This time it's obligatory to wash the hands and everything up to the elbow. It's a mistake when people think, I already washed my hands at the beginning, so now I'll just start from the wrist and go upwards up to my elbow. Wrong. 
You have to include all of the hand in it. This is the correct way to make the wudu. This is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So then, and then you've got to include the elbows as well. Some people again, they might only go just up to the elbow and miss the elbow. You've got to include the elbow into it as well. Take the water right above, over the elbow. Uh, again, the hadith says that he began with his right one first and the left one second. What do we say about that? Is that an obligatory act or is that sunnah? That's a sunnah. So if somebody came along and they forgot and they washed their left hand first and then the right one afterwards and then they finished their wudu, then afterwards as they're walking away, they remember, ah, I washed my left hand first. It's okay, the wudu is still okay. It's just that he hasn't done the sunnah. The sunnah would have been start with the right one first. But if somebody did the left one, the wudu is still correct. You can't say the wudu is false now, it's still correct. Because doing the right first and doing the left second, that's a sunnah act. It's not obligation. So if somebody forgot that, then it would still be okay. But no doubt that you begin with the right is far better, and that is the sunnah act, and that's how you should do the wudu. And the Prophet ﷺ used to, uh, tayamun. He used to love to start with the right hand side. And the right hand side is more honorable and more uh, ennobled. So then in the ayah, it says, وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ إِلَىٰ الْمَرَافِقِ Your hands up to the elbows. It doesn't say up to and including the elbows. So how do we understand that you're supposed to include the elbows? Because the word إِلَىٰ in Arabic, here the shaykh says, وَالْقَاعِدَ أَنَّ الْغَايَ لَا تَدْخُلْ فِي الْمُغَيَّةِ That the... End part, it doesn't come into the original ruling. For example, وَأَتِمُّ الصَّيَامَ إِلَى الليل. Complete your fasting up until the night. Up until Maghrib, up until the night, does it mean you have to carry on fasting and break your fast in the night after Isha or something? So the night doesn't come into it. However, sometimes you can go against that and sometimes the, perp, the ending can come into it as well. And this is an example of that where the ending does come into it. So the uh, elbows must be washed also. And again, that's taken from the acts of the Prophet ﷺ that when he used to make wudu, he would include his elbows when making wudu. Then after that, wipe the head. That is in the Quran, and wipe upon your heads. Uh, again, the details of that will come to it later on because the scholars, some of them said, you have to, as a hadith they mentioned, you're supposed to go from the top to the back and back to the front again. And those ones, they're going to come. There are many more hadith about the wudu yet. This is not the only one. There's several other hadith about the wudu and what the Prophet used to do. So all of those details will still come here at the beginning. The Shaykh, he gives this one as a general understanding of how to make the wudu to get a general picture of what the body parts are and how you're supposed to do them. But generally speaking here, the Shaykh says now, the ayah has commanded that you must wash, or rather, that you must wipe over your heads. Then the sunnah has explained how to do that. And the sunnah has explained that the wiping of the head is done once only. And it is not to be repeated like the rest of the body parts. Because if you repeat the wiping, then what happens? It ends up being like washing. If you wipe the head five or six times, it's like you've washed it then. There's loads of water on it then. That's not the purpose of the head. The purpose of the head is to wipe it only, not to wash it. And if you start wiping it five, six, three, or even three times, if you start wiping it three times with water, you're going to end up making it all wet as if you washed it. But the purpose is just to wipe it. So you're supposed to get the wet fingers and run them across and back. 
And that is the wiping of the head. Some of the scholars said that you, even if you were to wipe a quarter of it, it's okay. Some of them said even two hairs, it would be okay. But the reality is, as the ahadith mentioned, you take it to the back and you bring it to the front once again. That's what the ahadith mentions generally about the wiping of the head. Then at the end of it, it mentions the washing of the feet again. Start with the right foot first, the left foot second. Wash it up until the ankles, including the ankles, wash all that area. And then you can wipe in between the toes as well. But that is the general description of the wudu. Then all of the issues that go with this now. Where is the face? How do you wipe in between the beard? What if you have a big beard or a small beard? Where, uh, what about wiping of the ears? All of these things now, they are going to come in the more detailed ahadith which follow now. Now the hafid is going to start by mentioning details about all these things. So he mentions about how to do the ears. He mentions about how to do the madmada and the istishaq. Mentions how to wipe through the beard. All of the details of those areas of the wudu are going to come now. But that hadith was for the purpose of generally understanding how to make wudu. You generally understand now you wash your hands. Or you have the intention, you say the bismillah, you wash your hands, wash the face, do the madmada, do the istinshaq. Then after that, the arms including the hands, right side, left side, wipe over the head, wash the feet. That is the general description of wudu that inshallah everybody should know. But after that now, from next time inshallah, we'll go into the details of all of that. The details and all of the hadith about how to do that, how to wipe through the fingers, the beard, the ears, etc., all of these things and the differences of opinion about wiping of the head and everything, how to do it and when to do it and how much to do it, all of those inshallah will be given from next week.